from the Gospel of Matthew, You are salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? In the name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. About a year ago, I read a fascinating book by the Toronto-area journalist Mark Schatzker, a book called The Dorito Effect. It's a book so named because he begins with the story of how those triangular cheese-flavored chips, called Doritos, came into existence. As Schatzker tells the story, in 1964, a vice president in the Frito-Lay company came up with the idea of marketing a kind of lightly salted baked tortilla chip. The company, already known for their their, uh, corn chips and potato chips, set to the task. But as the product went through development, it quickly became clear that the idea was going to flop because they just didn't have enough flavor. So a colleague suggested to him, make the chips taste like a taco, and then people will go crazy for them. So with the help of a gas chromatograph, their laboratory isolated the flavors of taco and created a chemical recipe and compound, dusted the chips with them, and a lasting successful snack food was born. Since then, they've developed even more flavors, including ranch, dill pickle, ketchup, buffalo wing, and guacamole, mostly made from chemicals. Okay, well, we all knew that Doritos were processed junk. What about real food? Well, next, the author talks about what has happened to chicken. It turns out that the production of poultry from farm to table has changed in the last century. Over the span of many years, as market demand for chicken increased, as farmers tinkered with the chicken feed they were, uh, they were coming up with to speed up the growth process to produce market-ready chickens faster, through all of this process, the taste of chicken has fundamentally changed. It has become more bland through the process of mass production. Now, this may not be a change that's perceptible to us, the author notes, but there is other evidence. 100-year-old cookbooks. Because if you look at recipes for chicken from 80, 90, 100 years ago, you'd find that most of them, the chicken recipes, the chicken was seasoned by little more than salt or pepper. Chicken then had more flavor. It needed less external flavor than it does now. And so we season it heavily. And sure enough, Martha and I have great chicken recipes. We have a great lemon and rosemary chicken. We have a great Cajun chicken, a great garlic crumb chicken. And my hot chicken wings with their six tablespoons of cayenne pepper in the marinade are not to be reckoned with. But just straight up chicken? That never seems to make it onto the menu. It's a fascinating book about the science of taste and how our nutrition has been fundamentally obliterated by what the the author calls manufactured deliciousness. And rest assured, it's not my intention this morning to be preachy about the food we eat or to promote a particular nutritional ethos. In fact, after reading this book, there are two things I can tell you. I still eat chicken and I spice it to death, and I still eat Doritos. Apparently, learning about what you eat doesn't always change what you eat. But maybe lightning can strike somewhere else, though. 
And maybe what I learned from reading this book a year ago can help change the way that we think about our faith. In the gospel reading we just heard, we find Jesus midstream in the Sermon on the Mount. And we begin where Jesus says to the crowd, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. There have been more than enough sermons on this passage to explain why Jesus uses that image of salt. Salt was that ancient preservative and that principal seasoning. Salt is an essential element of of living matter and most of the water on the earth, and it links us to creation as creation links us with God. And salt, of course, also had an important role in both the secular and sacred culture of the Mediterranean. But this week, I found myself thinking about this book that I had read about the manufacture of taste. And it was the second part of Jesus' words that I really found myself dwelling on the most. But if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? By now, many of us have seen that alarming headline in the Anglican Journal, No Anglican Church by 2040. That's not an unfamiliar tune. We've seen the warnings for quite some time. We've heard the song before. It seems that maybe just a little bit, we've lost our saltiness. The church just doesn't have that attractive flavor that it used to. Whenever we hear these projections, our go-to response is usually to lament the changing world the long-past end of that age where faith was a normative part of life, that time when we had plenty of salt to go around. True, the church is no longer the political influence it once was. Places of worship are no longer the hub of community activity that they once were. Faith is no longer that core of family identity the way it used to be. You are the salt of the earth, Jesus says. But after many years of so-called Christendom, it seems that salt is no longer the flavor people are looking for. Once we reach that conclusion, of course, then it's easy to find the blame in the far more flavorful things around us. Maybe it's Sunday shopping, or weekend hockey practices, or Starbucks. Yes, it's definitely Starbucks. Then the natural conclusion from that is that we should fight fire with fire. So maybe we try to mimic the culture around us. We, look everything, we, we try to look like everything else that's going on. We'll dress up the idea of church. We'll try to give it a bit more razzle-dazzle. Or on the other hand, pendulum swings the other way. We could make an idol out of being different. We could cling to those things that keep us different from the rest of the changing world. If people don't want salt anymore, we can definitely be cumin or paprika. Or maybe we'll just double up on the salt. But inevitably, whenever we wander down that path, we go astray. Whenever we abandon our faith in favor of the idea of competition— we only end up abandoning the center of our being as we lunge at that elusive right answer. So, 
faced with a culture that's moving in a different direction, in a world distracted and attracted by so many other things, how do we claim and name and keep hold of our center? Well, over to you, Paul. When I came to you, I did not come proclaiming the mystery of God to you in lofty words or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians is my favorite of Paul's letters, partly because it reflects a world so very much like our own a community of divisions and distractions, a world trying to navigate those overlapping layers of cultural and class distinction, loud voices yelling over top of one another, competing for attention, competing for our money, and a community struggling to be community in a big city. Corinth was exactly that place where the salt was in competition with a number of other flavors. It was a city and a major trading port with Jewish and Christian, Egyptian and Greek communities, each with their representative religions and spiritualities, especially the Greek wisdom tradition of Gnosticism, which Paul notes for himself in the letter to the Corinthians for its obsession with eloquence and rhetoric and higher knowledge. It was in that place, dominated by the seasonings of debate, logic, and the power of wisdom and the supremacy of wisdom, that Paul came to share the plain old salt of the gospel of foolishness. And so he says to them, when I came to you, when I came to you, I didn't dress it up. I didn't try to make it look like something you already had or something you could get somewhere else. When I shared this gospel with you, it wasn't to overwhelm your senses, but rather to fill your spirits with something new. When I came to you, I came with just Jesus. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Just Jesus, just the good news of Jesus Christ who liberates us from the complication and the maelstrom and the nonsense of the world. That is our center. When we go out from this place, when we bring the gospel into the world distracted by flashing lights, louder voices, and competing flavors, Jesus Christ is our center in whom we live and move and have our being. In a world with many distractions, Paul's experience of growing and nurturing and struggling with the Corinthian community reminds us that we don't need to be as big and complicated and as flashy as life is. There's actual beauty in being simple and centered in Jesus Christ. We are the salt of the world, made by the one who made us to be salt, and invited by the one who took on our own flesh to be salt and light and healing and grace in the world. Our being salt began with God. Staying salt belongs to us. So back to our gospel. Jesus asks that question, if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? 
How do we find and stay rooted in our center? What does it look like for us to do that? There's one thing I've always loved about Jesus' parables and the images that he uses. And what I've loved about them is the paradox of them all. That he always uses things with finite values, finite properties, finite behaviors, finite qualities. But you and I, we are not limited to finite qualities. A mustard seed will always only grow a mustard plant. It'll never be turmeric or basil. A rocky path with seed thrown on it will always be a rocky path. A grain of salt, once it loses its saltiness, will never be salty again. But you and I, we can be restored. You and I can be refreshed and renewed and made salty again, if you will. For the past several weeks, and continuing for another couple weeks, Andrew Cool has been running the Christian faith series called The Way of Love that comes from the, United Ch- the Episcopal Church in the United States. Through the course, we have been invited to consider seven practices that are central to what it means to be centered and followers of Jesus Christ. Practices that invite us to find our center in Christ, most especially when we get away from that center. Practices that invite us to renew ourselves, to restore the salt in us. Practices that invite us to turn and learn and pray, to worship, bless, go, and rest. Even if you haven't been a part of that series Take some time this week if you, get the, if you get the opportunity and learn about how these seven practices might guide us in finding and claiming our center and in renewing our spirits. Turning again and again in our lives to Jesus. Learning and praying through our faith in Christ. Coming together as a community in worship going into the world, blessing each other and the world, and knowing God's blessing in us, and resting, resting in Christ and resting from a busy world. There will always be Doritos, like literally, because I think they're chemically incapable of biodegrading. There will always be things that attract our senses that seem bigger than life, that will increase our appetites for things that are bold and flashy, but substance-free. So let's be the salt of the world, because salt is what runs through all of creation, all that was, all that is, and all that will be. Being the salt of the world is our center. So let's be people who are centered in Christ, who invite people back to that same center people who are renewed daily in our own faith so that we can renew and restore others. People who turn, learn, pray, rest, worship, go, and bless in and through Christ. It's a flavor that the world still needs. In the name of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.